Welcome back to part two of this special two-part episode all about how ARM is redefining the infrastructure computing landscape. In part one, we talked about ARM's recent roadmap announcement. But in this part, we'll discuss the wider infrastructure market, ARM's role in this growing space, and what this means for an industry increasingly moving to ARM-based solutions. Joining me to talk about this is Dermot O'Driscoll, Vice President of Product Solutions from the ARM Infrastructure line of business. So it's clear that uh, ARM's growing massively in the infrastructure space. You've been at ARM for quite a while, so my question is, what took you guys so long? Uh, I, I mean, I ask that kind of uh, tongue-in-cheek, um, but you're keeping, trying to keep up with a tremendous uh, pace of demand in the market. Um, and if you think about the major cloud service providers, for example, and they're adopting Neoverse, and that's fantastic, but also brings challenges. So is ARM ready for this, those challenges? Yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely been a journey. I'm not sure we had a vision for everything we would need to do. And one of the things that matters a lot is early wins, right? Winning Amazon early for us as a Lighthouse customer and then um, helping both develop the ecosystem with us, educate us on what was required. You know, I came into the infrastructure market curious and excited, but I have learned so much. So that's the first part of it. Now, the second question you ask is a great question. And it's a question I challenge my team with every day, which is, are we ready for the onslaught of demand? And, and um, we, we are building out, you know, um, we are building out our developer program. So, so that the work we're doing on our developer platforms to, to support developers, to make sure that they have the, the tools, the software, the hardware platforms, the models, um, all of the things that they need to, to easily develop an ARM. We're making sure that we have the right training materials. We're making sure that we have the right um, software ecosystem. The amount of, of energy we've put into the software ecosystem in the last five years is phenomenal, right? And, and that's been in partnership. I mentioned Amazon, but others. And um, people are seeing this as an opportunity to, to, to go beyond where they are today and develop the, the software ecosystem. So for simple example, um, OpenJDK, right? Millions and millions of lines of code that have had to be import that have had to be imported from a one architecture to multi-architecture. So getting multi-architecture support from both for both x86 and ARM. Um, so that the the base level of what's required for developers. So most developers are not looking into the OpenJDK guts. Most of them are not looking into the guts of a GCC compiler. Most of them are not looking into the runtime that is beneath .NET or that is beneath Go. What they're trying to do is they're trying to get their job done, right? So they need you know, um, development environments and they need a base level of, of, of enablement that we have to provide. Yeah, well, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and, and building on the great things that you've done before also makes sense. One of those that you referred to earlier was about your reputation for power sipping and, and uh, the ARM's uh, ability to combine high performance and low power. And you seem to be in a great place to help tackle some of the sustainability issues in the infrastructure space. And, and we've talked about this in podcasts before, but uh, I, I'm interested in hearing your take on how ARM is committed to providing a cleaner cloud. You know, uh, there, there's some very interesting data coming out around this. Um, and, and, you know, I, I'm a firm believer, like I mentioned earlier, that we have come from a place of great efficiency. And we are add, adding to the CPU microarchitectures and to interconnect products 
only that which is needed to make certain workloads and the key workloads that those got, that, that the major cloud companies care about better. We are not trying to be a one size fits all. One size fits all means you end up adding you know features and technologies that can be wasteful. So so the first thing is we're very um, specific and meticulous about what we will add to our architecture, what we will add to the microarchitecture of the cores we build, so that we are good enough to meet the needs of those key workloads and what matters to the to the cloud companies, but not um, not overdoing it not overdoing it to the point where we're wasting power. So that's the first thing. So that, that's something that is fundamental in what we do. The other thing that's quite interesting to observe um, is just how much more efficient the public cloud is versus standard data centers. So, so there's a metric, it's called PUEs. I, I won't get into the specifics of it. Your, your listeners can do their own research on that, but it basically measures how much of the power that's consumed in a data center is towards doing the compute versus overhead, right? And public clouds drive down or drive up, drive down PUE, basically the amount of overhead to really low levels. And, and good numbers are in the twos and Google, I think, prides themselves on being close to a one. They, they basically have very limited, you know, less than 10% overhead. Why that matters is, our strategy has always been about the public cloud, public cloud first, right? Making sure that the public cloud has access to ARM-based technology is going to help drive down that PUE, drive up efficiency. And, and the consumer, the user can then make a choice between, hey, I can use public cloud, which is the most efficient way of doing compute. And, 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 and I'll come back to why, why that matters. Efficiency, right, matters for two reasons. It matters because your costs go down. We all know the cost of energy went up in the last year. That cost of energy is translating to an impact on, on the cost of, of other things in our ecosystem, right? It costs more to ship product to your local grocery store, but it also costs more to run your data center. Well, more efficient processor means you consume less energy, right? So most, more efficient processing is not just good for a sustainability standpoint, it's good for how the cost of building our products and therefore the cost to us as consumers. So, and I think that's where, where companies really start to think twice about deploying ARM. They realize that actually I can get more compute because of our efficiency and how we design our products uh, for both a lower cost to my consumer and for less energy consumed. Right, and that that helps tell the sustainability story, and and the sustainability story is something that most cloud companies are starting to to really think hard about because they they are consuming very large amounts of energy, and and it's important to them, um, you know, to 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 push that down, and and arm arm can allow them to do that. As we kind of look at that cloud and, and server market, um, I'm kind of going to take the lens of back a bit and think a bit more about some of the other things you've talked about in terms of networking and edge and what ARM is doing there. Maybe you could tell me a bit more about the, the latest on that. Yeah, so so we, I, I already talked a little bit about the requirements for efficiency in DPU um, and, and, and SmartNIC. And, and again, why is that important, right? So simplest level, 30 to 40% of cycles in a traditional cloud environment are to manage things like networking, security, and storage. 
So if you're a public cloud provider, you're spending 30 to 40% of what is your most expensive or one of your most expensive assets um, doing what are considered data center tax functions, right? Why wouldn't you want to take those and run them on something that's more efficient? And basically that, that, that way you do two things. One is you isolate from a security networking and, and storage standpoint, those functions to something that is specifically designed to do that. And secondly, you free up those 30 to 40% of your cycles to sell, right? So very simple math says I can make more, a lot more money selling my server cycles than I can using them for internal tax functions. So the first reason that, 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 that a lot of these cloud companies have moved to, to having DPU smart NIC devices is to, to, to free up cycles that they can sell or use for other functions. Second is, it's a, it's a really useful way to isolate those services and take them away so that they're not conflicting for resources, they're not conflicting for, for security on the main device. So, so that, 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 that's, that, that, has, that wave started about two years ago, but it's really taking flight now. And you can see announcements from folks like even Intel who are announcing their collaboration with Google on the Mount Evans design point. The, they call it their IPU. Um, which they've released to the market for, for general consumption. And that's based on a N1, Neoverse N1-based design point. So a lot of traction there. You can see it with um, what, what, what NVIDIA are doing with their Bluefield pl platforms um, and beyond. So, so that, that's really exciting to see what was initially being driven by one or two cloud providers really taking over and, and becoming a much bigger trend. Second thing we're seeing... Um, in, in the wireless infrastructure space, so if you look at when we talk about wireless infrastructure, we're, we're not talking about Wi-Fi hotspots, as I'm sure your, your listeners will know. Um, we're talking about sort of the RAN, right? The 5G wireless space, as most people would think about it today. Um, now, we, we have supplied processors into that space, the embedded RAN, for, for, for a long time. You open up a box to a base station, there's ARM in that box. Um, but what's happening now is the compute demands, whether it be around beamforming or other higher levels of processing, L2, L3, it's just, it's ballooning, right? The amount of data that you and I and our kids and, and beyond are downloading on wireless networks is exploding, right? And in order to meet that, that demand, those, those high bandwidth requirements, there's a lot more compute happening on that pole by your house, right? And to supply the power to do that compute gets harder and harder, right? So they, people want more efficient compute. So that's, that's another big transition that we're seeing, right? Is the, 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 the performance bandwidth demands in 5G are creating a requirement for a lot more efficient compute on those, on those devices. And where traditionally people were comfortable with, hey, I'm just gonna stick a traditional x86 server somewhere out there. They're going, actually, I need two, three X the amount of compute and I need it in the same power envelope. How can we do that? Harm, can you help me? Right. That that's the question we get a lot of the times. So that that's big. And the other thing that's happening is um, virtualization. So in those wireless networks, the way software is developed traditionally was though you had ten thousand bit software engineers sitting at Ericsson, sitting at Nokia, basically coding up all the all the stack that went there. And um, and some of that still goes on. It does absolutely go on, but they want to move to a more virtualized environment, right? Where network functions are software driven and they're not custom specific to certain DSP functions. So they can they can leverage a broader software development ecosystem. There's a lot of software developers out there in the world. These guys can can basically um, 
work on this type of space. So, so this is an area again, where now you've got what is almost a traditional server workload, right? What used to be an embedded RAN type use case in software program, you know, application, moving to being more of a server class and coming back to what we said earlier, the efficiency of what we're providing, what our, what our partners are building, you know, folks like, like Ampere that I mentioned really, um, allows them to say, oh, I can move from embedded RAN where I was very, every line of code was met, metered and every line of code was meant because I was running on a very low end processor with very low end, you know, memory support and what have you to running in a more server class environment. I've got a lot more flexibility. And um, do I have um, now the ability to do that in an efficient way? Right, because the first model we describe is very efficient because every line of code was measured. The second one is probably not so. You've got more higher level software development concepts, but but therefore you need the hardware to be more efficient. So you're trading off what was very tight levels of software control to looser software control, but much better hardware. Yeah, I'm really glad you mentioned software development. I recently had a great discussion with Mark Hamilton in an earlier podcast about the ARM Dev Summit that you were talking about earlier and the renewed focus of the event on software developers and the vital role that ARM's playing. Maybe you can talk a bit more about ARM's recent work in the infrastructure space with software development. Is there anything particularly exciting that jumps out for you? Yeah, I actually, I listened to your podcast with Mark, Jeff, and um, I got to say that was partly the reason why I was excited to talk to you, um, because I, I love Mark. Mark and I uh, have been working together for years. He's a great guy. I really enjoyed that. Um, you know, um, in, in the infrastructure space, um, I, I joke that we're, we're, we're so rich in terms of the blogs we have. I don't have time to read all the blogs. We are doing things across the space, right? We have, I think in the last year, we've released... 50 user case blogs right on how to use kubernetes how to use mongodb how to use java how to build out right so so now we're now at a point where we're training the software development community and helping support the software development community in how to deploy on arm and that's that's the you know we we have reached a point where the hardware is available um, we have programs like Works on ARM. We're expanding that to a, a additional suppliers beyond what we were we, we had done originally. So hardware hardware accessibility is there now. What we're what we're doing is we're reaching out to all the software communities and saying, "Hey, let us show you how easy it is to do this on ARM. Let, let us show you how easy it is to migrate your traditional um, use cases, your traditional workloads, onto an ARM-based architecture." So I think that's that's a big part of what we're doing right is is the education and the training and the support and and making that ecosystem completely accessible uh, and opening it up uh, and that's what i'm excited about because i actually think um that democratization of compute right how do you how do you make compute super accessible to people and to developers and make it cheap and make it efficient um and that's part of the the work works on our program is making low cost if not zero cost compute available to developers so they can go play um, and, and they can go and, and, and basically do their work and do their experimentation for free. So we started this conversation talking about the roadmap and the roadmap's all about the future. So um, maybe we could also talk a bit more about what excites you most about infrastructure and ARM's role here. Yeah, I, it is. It's a super exciting time, right? Um, you know, I mentioned this earlier, just the 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 infrastructure market has captured the imagination of so many people, 
right? There's so much investment going into it. Um, so I'm excited about that. What I'm excited about for, for our customers is the the breadth of technologies we're making available to them. So if you're a semiconductor partner and you're looking, or, even, or a cloud provider, and you're looking to build your own silicon or you're looking to build your own products, we now have three different product lines that you can take advantage of. We have our V-Class, we just announced the, the V2. Um, we have our N-Series um, for scale-out use cases, and we have our E-Series for efficient, uh, you know, accelerator level um, processing. So, so to me, that breadth of product line that we're offering to people, the flexibility we're offering, if you're building chips, that that's fantastic, right? So that's that's super exciting. If you're if you're a hardware guy, and we find this with our part with, with our customers when we talk to them directly, is um, we've never had such a great broad offering in the infrastructure space, right? It, it, you know, and I, and I I don't say that to brag. I say that humbly. We've been very successful at leveraging what we do in our client space adding infrastructure specific features the right ones in order to build a product roadmap that allows people to to really kind of do what they want right basically it's you know it's it, you know to, to build a you know a five watt product on one end of the spectrum to a if they want to 250 300 watt server on the other end of the spectrum so so that that breadth of offering that we have is, is super exciting the other thing that's super exciting is just you know a, I'm a great LinkedIn follower, right? And I spend, I, I do spend, that probably is my other social media uh, site addiction is is spending time on there. And just the amount of traction we're seeing from, from the partnership in the software side, how many people are moving to developing on ARM. And uh, there's a great um, um, presentation done by the folks at Airbnb uh, recently. I don't know if you've got to see that one, but um, it was just, it was just, how easy it is to migrate and run and move to run on arm right we're seeing that um that level of just people believing that it's possible you know if i went back five years jeff i don't think in my wildest dreams i would have thought we were at this point today you know one of our partners and one i'm obviously very close to um amazon said that 48 of their 50 biggest customers are now running something running significant amounts of their workloads on arm that's mind-blowing Right, that's mind blowing in terms of just that traction, um, and I think we're I think we're at the start. I think I, I think we're just at the start of what is the level of traction we're about to see. You know, there's early release of of technology and availability. You know, it's just starting at the other major cloud providers. That's that. You know, this is this is going to take off. So that's what, that's what that's what excites me. That's what gets me up in the morning. Is how do I how do I move that ball? How do I you know accelerate that hockey stick? What 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 levers do we need to pull in order to get people? Um, and enable people to develop for the ARM architecture. But no mistake about it, right? This is now moved from, do we have the right hardware? Yes, we absolutely have the right hardware. And we have the right hardware roadmap to how do we get the developers and enable the developers and support developers, you know, and invest in developers um, to make them successful? Because that's, that's you know, we got to make this frictionless. One thing you said there about going back five years. Well, I'm wondering if you go back even further to when you were a kid and you were we'll kind of circle back to what you were talking about right at the beginning of the podcast. Um, so if you were to be able to, to talk to your younger self, uh, what would you say today to a young Dermot at the start of his technology journey? And, you know, maybe a little bit about voltage um, and, and safety, but what other things would, what other insights would you want to offer? I'm curious. I'm a curious person. 
right? And I don't mean curious as in curious strange, I mean curious as inquisitive, right? And um and and I think for me it's always be curious, always be, you know, inquisitive about how do things work. Um there 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 is this um belief sometimes that as as you know technology becomes more complex it becomes less accessible. I don't, I don't necessarily believe that because I actually think that as uh, we, we can break it down and we can understand it and you don't have to understand every minor detail of it. Um, so having the confidence that curiosity pays off, I'm not sure I had that when I was growing up, right? That, that the, the idea that just because you like to take things apart and maybe put them back together, hopefully the right way, um, it, it, you know, is that you can actually, that, that's exciting and that's fun. Right. And that's kind of, you know, as an engineer and I started as an engineer, I'm more on the product side now. It's, it's about how do you engineer a solution? How do you with your curiosity, with your 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 brain, how do you come up with something that meets a set of needs? So that's the first thing is to believe that that, that that's always possible. And the second thing that that then I would sort of advise people, you know, coming up is um, look after your network. You know, and I don't mean your 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 wireless or your, your Ethernet network. Look after your people network. Um, I, I've been amazed just in the last few years how you can have a problem and and reach out to your network and and they can help you understand the challenge. They can help you, you know, basically trouble troubleshoot it. And they might not be even part of your business. They might be outside of your business. So I think, you know, maintaining a strong network of people who you talk to and communicate with and listen to and listen to, um, you know, what they tell you um, is super important. Um, I'm not sure if that's what you were looking for, Jeff, but, but that, that, those would be the two, two things I would, I would encourage my, my, my younger self to do is just keep listening and, and be curious. Well, thank you, Dermot. This has been great. You painted a really inspiring vision of the future from the kinds of even more powerful infrastructure that will be available to us to the amazing things we'll be able to do with it. So thank you for that. And speaking of the more immediate future, we look forward to bringing you further glimpses of it soon in the next episode of Arm Viewpoints. Thanks for listening today.